But let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? That's the question, isn't it? That is the question that drives the majority of our life. Think, think about it this way. It's the question that we have used for all our COVID protocols, right? It's the question of the reason why you're wearing masks today, right? Or we have your favorite pew. You can't sit in your favorite pew right now. We have it roped off. Or maybe you are. I don't know. It's, it's how we've decided on the way that uh, restaurants are going to be open or not, what the capacities are going to be, all those things. Because we began with this question of who is my neighbor? How can I love them? So you can go online and you can buy a mask that says love your neighbor. I looked it up. It's on Amazon. I think it's like $7.99. With, with uh, Prime, you could have it here in two days. Yeah? You're thinking a Lenten present maybe for someone. That's how we've decided on our COVID protocols. Or think of our public policy. We use that question to try to decide how we spend our tax dollars. I just heard it today that the decision came down that they've now lowered the threshold for the next stimulus check from people that make 100K a year to 80K a year. Deciding, okay, these are the neighbors within this scope that we are going to help with this money. Could go to, to so many other things, whether, whether it's food stamps or whatnot. Or you think of the social ministry in the church, right? We look at our communities, we look at our towns, we look at our families, and we say, what's missing? Where does Jesus' love need to be? And so we try to answer that question, who is my neighbor? So we see in this parable, this parable that everybody knows, the, the essential story of the fulfillment of the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So many other religions uh, have similar uh, commandments. The difference is, is that ours is put in the positive, but others, like in Hinduism, Buddhism, uh, Hebraic tradition, other places, often it's put in the negative. It says, don't do to other people what you don't want to have done to you. I think it's a lot easier to just say, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But that works. It helps bring us together as, as a community on earth to know that people have similar goals. And the nice thing about loving your neighbor too, especially as you're working out trying to answer this question, is that it's something you can quantify. It's something you can count. You can figure it out. You can hold it. You can touch it. You can put it in an accountant's book. Okay, I loved my neighbor this way today. Check. And every day you can do that, right? Especially once you answer that question, who is my neighbor? And that makes it a lot easier when Jesus comes to us and says, go and do likewise. So we hold on to the Good Samaritan story, like our favorite little teddy bear as a kid, right? And we go out into the world and we say, okay, I have to love my neighbor. So if I see my neighbor in a ditch, or if I see someone in a ditch, well, that's my neighbor. I got to go help them. Or we become proactive and we start looking for dudes in ditches all over the place. We try to make it our goal. All those things are good. All of them are good. But the problem that we have tonight is that, believe it or not, the Good Samaritan story is not really about the Samaritan at all. It can be, but it's not really about the Samaritan at all. The, uh, Jesus uses the Samaritan because he's wanting to shock this lawyer, because the Samaritan would have been the anti-hero. He would have been the villain that everybody loves to hate. Dexter, 
Uh, Walter White, Saul Goodman, the one that you love, but at the same time, you kind of get that anxiety attack where I've had to stop watching Dexter after like season three and then restart it all over again because I start going, I'm cheering for a guy who kills people. Well, the Samaritan in the eyes of that lawyer was not a good guy. But Jesus is driving home a different point. I found a a modern take on this parable, actually from an op-ed from the LA Times. Many of you have probably heard it or read it already. It's all the way back of February 8th of this year. Um, And I I believe it to be satire. I, I need to put that out there so that those folks of political sensibilities don't get mad at me. Uh, I'm reading someone else's words, okay? So if you want to send any hate mail, you can address it to FLC Staples Pastor at, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Or actually, no, you can send it to Faith Office. Tyler loves to get those emails. But this is uh, by Virginia Heffernan in the LA Times. Oh, heck no. The Trumpites next door to our pandemic getaway who seem as devoted to the ex-president as you can get without being QAnon fans just plowed our driveway without being asked and did a great job. How am I going to resist demands for unity in the face of this act of aggressive niceness? I like that phrase. I'm going to use that phrase for now. Aggressive niceness. Of course, on some level, I realize I owe them thanks, and man, it really looks like the guy backdragged the driveway like a pro, but how much thanks? These neighbors are staunch partisans of blue lives, and there aren't a lot of anything other than white lives in the neighborhood. This is also kind of weird back in the city. People don't sweep other people's walkways for nothing. Maybe it's like what Eddie Murphy discovered in that old Saturday Night Live sketch, White Like Me. He goes undercover in white makeup and finds that when white people are among their own, they pop free champagne and live the high life. As Murphy puts it, slowly I began to realize that when white people are alone, they give things to each other for free. It's actually a pretty funny sketch, but it's like 30 years old. Hezbollah, the Shiite Islamist political party in Lebanon, also gives things away for free. The favors Hezbollah does for people in the cities of Tyre and Sidon probably don't involve snowplows, but like other mafias, Hezbollah tends to its own. The Shiite sick, elderly, and hungry, they offer protection and hospitality and win loyalty that way, and they also demand devotion to their brutal us-versus-them anti-Sunni cause. Some of us are family, the favors say. The rest are infidels. And someone helps you when you're down or snowed in, she writes, it's almost impossible to regard them as a blight on the world. In fact, you're more likely to be overwhelmed with gratitude and convinced of the person's inherent goodness. You might end up like the upper middle class family I stayed with in France as a teenager. They did not attend a citywide celebration for the 100th birthday of Charles de Gaulle, the war hero who orchestrated the liberation of his country from Nazi Germany in 1944. They did have several portraits of Philippe Pétain, Nazi collaborator on their wall. When I screwed up the courage to ask how it was for them during the occupation, the lady of the house replied, we were happy because the Nazis were very police. I didn't know the words, so I excused myself to consult a dictionary. I was in tears when I found the entry read polite. So when I accept generosity from my pandemic neighbors, acknowledging the legitimate kindness with a wave or a plate of cookies, am I also sealing us in as fellow travelers who are very polite to each other, but not so much to them, quote unquote. Loving your neighbor is evidently much easier when your neighbor, when your neighborhood is full of people just like you. 
She then goes on to betray some of her political leanings. Uh, She's not exactly in love with the former president or his followers, but I read that story and all I could think of was this story we have before us tonight. Who was the neighbor to her and who was she? Well, the neighbor was the Samaritan. She happened to be the dude in the ditch. Now let's go back to our our question and our lawyer. It begins by saying wanting to justify himself. He's basically wanting to make sure he's right. He's wanting to make sure that he is in the right, that he has the righteous cause before him. And so he asks the question, who is my neighbor? Wanting to make sure, okay, I've ticked all the boxes. Let's go here, Jesus. You know what to tell me. Let's go. I want to know. And so we have the story. We heard the story twice tonight, so I'm not going to reiterate it. But we have that question that Jesus asks at the end in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of of the robbers. We have the priest, we have the Levite, and we have the Samaritan. Well, if you were listening closely, where does Jesus apply the neighborliness to? He doesn't apply it to the man in the ditch. He applies it to the Samaritan. He answers the guy's question, not in the way that we think we should because we want to think our neighbor is the one in the ditch. But he actually answers the guy's question by saying, no, the neighbor is actually the Samaritan. So who does that make the lawyer in the story? The guy in the ditch. We like the idea of being the Samaritan because we want to be the hero. But how often are we actually the dude in the ditch? And we need the Samaritan to come to us. We usually don't want to talk about that. We save that for maybe our therapist maybe at home, maybe our pastor, but we never want to admit that we're the guy half dead. Because we can quantify those deeds. We can quantify the loving. We can, it's much easier to hear Jesus say, go and do likewise, and we can try all we want. But the problem is, is that if we're half dead in the ditch, we're in trouble. Virginia Heffernan, her struggle is the fact that someone she hates showed her mercy, just like the Samaritan does to the guy in the ditch. And for us, we assume that we will never be the one in the ditch. We, we, we tend to see it in the optics of, well, the people in the ditches, they're, they're poor, they're marginalized, they're hungry, they're less educated, uh, all these different things, because that's the optics we've been given. Never thinking that, say, for instance, a CEO, CEO with, with uh, two houses And a wife and three kids is the guy in the ditch because his wife is leaving him because he's an alcoholic. You can never imagine that he's the one needing mercy. But he needs mercy too. We never think that Christ's whole point in the story is that the way into the kingdom of God is not paved by our goodness. It's not paved by our own morality. It's paved by the fact that we find out that we are weak, we are frail, we are broken, we have inabilities, we're able to, we find ourselves on our deathbed being able to only confess what Luther confessed, where he says, we are beggars, all of us, that is true. And so here Christ answers the question, and says, your neighbor is the one who maybe comes to you. 
And the reality is, is that Jesus is telling the story because he's wanting to make sure that you know that actually the Samaritan is Jesus. Because Jesus comes to us, finds us in the ditch, and grants us mercy. He's the one who binds up our wounds. He covers our sins in his blood. He enlivens us by his spirit. He picks us up and carries us by his promise of life out of death, forgiveness of all the times that we've walked on that other side, all the times that we've avoided being a good Samaritan, all the times that we've been a very bad Samaritan as well as his promise of doing for us the things that we can't do ourselves. And the best part about it, this is the best part about it, is that he'll love your neighbor when you find that you can't. That neighbor that does a really good job of plowing your driveway but voted for the wrong person. But then also, he'll love you when that neighbor can't. Wanting to care for you. Because Lent is about this reality of us finding ourselves in a ditch and needing to be picked up, carried by Christ, carried to the cross, so that we receive the life that we need in him. Thanks be to God. Amen.